We'll teach you guys a Portuguese word in honor of Ananda's Brazilian heritage. Wow. It's spelled differently in Portuguese, but it's the same word. So, wow. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Let's see how good you guys are at picking something up, right? God is good. And all the time. God is faithful. And all the time. God is faithful. Thank you for that song, Ananda. Wow. I am, now I'm ready to preach. You can't preach after that, you're dead. So, we're going to continue our GOAT series, the greatest of all time. And I got to say, it's a joy to be back here in the pulpit. It's been a little while. I'm, I'm so grateful to Pastor Paula, to Jonathan for so ably filling in. I have listened to the services while I, from when I was out. What a blessing it was. Last week, I was so grateful to be able to sit along with you and, and receive our missionary from New Zealand, Scott Brown. What a powerful message, a great word from Daniel uh, last week. So, I want you guys to understand no matter who's in this pulpit, it doesn't matter if it's one of the staff, if it's one of our retired staff, if it's a guest preacher, if it's one of our missionaries, we are all on the same team. And no matter who is preaching from here, we all have the same mission, and that is to encourage people, including ourselves, to live in fellowship with Jesus Christ in order that our lives might be changed. Life transformation is why we are here. Henry Cloud put it this way. He says, transformation requires grace plus truth plus time. So, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the way grace is expressed across time by beginning at the very beginning of the Bible, the very first chapter, what provides for us what I'm now convinced is the greatest beginning of all time. And even as I begin today, I, I was sharing with Pastor Larry, who used to be on staff at Willow Creek, I'm so greatly indebted to John Ortberg for his thinking and this approach to this passage. I hope it's a blessing to you today. Now, when I say the word grace and I say to you that we're going to be preaching from Genesis 1, you might just be a particularly advanced Bible student. You might have been sitting in church teaching Sunday school, doing whatever, leading small groups for years, and you may immediately say, whoa, 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 pastor, I have read that chapter not once, not twice, but a bunch of times. And I don't ever remember seeing the word grace in Genesis chapter 1. And I'm going to say to you, very observant, first of all, very observant, that's, that's accurate. You will not find the word grace, G-R-A-C-E. But I will tell you, I believe it is absolutely impossible to read the first chapter of Genesis without seeing amazing grace at work in practical ways and in amazing ways by the one and only living God. And let me just give you a different word to watch for as we work through this a bit today. The word you need to watch for, therefore, is the word blessing. Blessing begins with God. It comes from Him. And we're going to follow that word 
in various appearances throughout this entire first book of the Bible. No, we're not going to try to go through Genesis verse by verse and chapter by chapter today. I know where that road leads, but the word blessing is absolutely key in the book of Genesis, and it provides the basis for this greatest beginning of all time. From Genesis chapter 1, verses 21-22, if you have your Bible open, you can kind of follow along. I'm going to be diving in and out of many different places in Genesis today. Here's what it says. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living and moving thing with which the water teems, and every winged bird, and God saw that it was good. And watch what happens next. God bless them. And every time, friends, that God blesses, it's a gift of grace. The word for bless, the word for blessing, it's a very important word. It's used 400, over 400 times in just the Old Testament. So it's it's, a, it's a, a very important word to having a theology that is based on understanding who God actually is, the God of the Bible, and how He works. So in this message, we're going to kind of look at this notion of blessing in various places throughout the book of Genesis. So God starts, we all know that Genesis 1 and 2 is all about the creation story, right? So God starts by creating, and then what does God do next? God blesses. He creates and He blesses. He creates and He blesses. We saw that He created the, the creatures of the sea, the, the, the birds of the air. You look down at 27, 28. So God created mankind in His own image. And in the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. What's it say next? God blessed them. I kind of think of it this way. God, God created all of creation so that He would have something to bless. And God created people so He would have someone to bless, somebody to bless. I hope you're that person that says, I, I, want, I want to be that somebody. I want God to bless me today. And then you see on the seventh day of creation, God rests. He loves the seventh day so much. What does He do with it? He blesses it too. He blesses the seventh day and made it holy. That's what the Bible says. So God blesses this seventh day, and by doing so, He's actually blessing all of the human race so that we can be able to experience rest. Anybody in here need a little rest? Man, I'm telling you, I, 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 some of the, the, the work schedules that you guys keep, some of the responsibilities that you folks carry, some of the families you're trying to keep up with, I've seen those kids. What do you think I don't volunteer in the kids? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't volunteer in the kids' ministry because I'm previously obligated to be in here, thank God. Uh, but that's one of the blessings uh, of being the pastor. Uh, but really, honestly, God knows we need it, and God creates that seventh day. And then, as the story continues, if you know the book of Genesis, some bad things happen. God has to send a flood, you know, all that stuff. Here's what it says after the flood. And then God blessed Noah 
and his son, saying, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. God loves to bless. So he creates human beings in his image and he blesses them, but he also blesses them in order to be a blessing. This gets really, really clear when it gets to the story of Abraham, right? You all know the verse I'm talking about. God says to Abraham, listen, I'm going to make you into a great nation. This is Genesis 12, right, where Abraham has the encounter with God. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. Now, remember, he's not talking about Abraham's not saying this to God. This is God saying this to Abraham. I will make your name great, and you will receive a blessing. No. You will be a blessing. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. So now, now we're starting to get a biblical understanding of what blessing's all about. It begins with God, and then it's going to flow to you. It's going to flow to me. It's going to flow to all kinds of folks. But it is not supposed to stop there. It is supposed to flow through, through Abraham to the whole earth, he says. Through you ah, to the whole earth, through me to the whole earth. That's what we're supposed to do. We become the people of God who are to bless the whole earth. It's an amazing opportunity. This is the way, by the way, that God chooses to spread his blessing. Now, there's a problem. Because when God decides he's going to bless the whole earth through people, we've just introduced a problematic factor into the equation. Usans, humans, because what we notice about humans is that we like blessings, we especially like them for ourselves, and most of the time, Human beings have the tendency to think this way. They think, how can I enhance my own experience of blessedness? I want to be blessed. How can I be blessed more? How can I accumulate blessings? You notice that's not in God's instructions to Abraham. Matter of fact, God doesn't seem to think that there's any shortage of blessings that we need to be worried about accumulating. You run out of the ones you've got, don't worry, God's got more for you, okay? We don't have to try to hoard blessings, folks. Listen to me, that is not God's plan. God's plan is to give you a blessing so that you can be a blessing. And you might say, Pastor, this is an awful lot of time to spend on talking about being blessed. Yes, but the reason blessing is so important in the Bible, the reason this question is so central to life, is that it's the answer to an ultimate, inevitable human question that, that everybody gets to sooner or later. It goes something like this. The question we ask is, what is the good life, really? What, what does it mean, if you put it in Bible words, what does it mean to have an abundant life? Who has the good life? Is it people who have money? People who have looks and beauty? Is it people who have good health? 
And blessing is the way the Bible begins to answer those questions. And it's very, very important, folks. Let let me just say that if you've never understood this distinction, you need to get this today. Blessing is not the same thing as success. Blessing is different from success because blessing always starts with God. It comes from God. It flows through people. It doesn't start with me. It's the free gift of God. What's the word we use for that? Oh, yeah, grace, the greatest beginning of all time, the gift of God. Grace is different from success because it's freely given, and it flows through me to bless the world. It's not about showing how blessed I am or how in our world's language, how successful I am. That's not it at all. Matter of fact, this becomes really uh, one of the great themes of Genesis, doesn't it, right? Because you have all this blessing in the first couple of chapters as God creates the world and He blesses and blesses and blesses and blesses. And then we get over in chapter 3. And those of you who know your Bible well, chapter 3 and chapter 4 are the story of the fall into sin. And and what happens, as you see, is that God's plan for human beings to be the channels of blessing, to be the conduits of blessing, is completely disrupted by sin. And so what you get after that event are humans who are coming along and interacting, and they begin to be blessing-hungry, blessing-starved people because there's so much confusion, there's so much conflict, and they sense that they are not living in the blessing. They sense all the conflict. They sense the stress. It's a part of the story. Here's another part of the story from Genesis. You remember that lovely couple, that lovely couple named Isaac and Rebekah? You remember them? right? Abraham's son, Abraham, then Isaac, married to Rebekah. They have twin boys, what everybody wants, right? Twins who joyfully love each other and walk with each other and encourage, except that's not exactly what happened with Jacob and Esau, is it? The two kids. What you have is you have Esau, who's kind of this big, strong man's man. He's an outdoorsman. He loves to to do things. Jacob is kind of that quiet guy who likes to stay at home and if they'd have had books, he'd have stayed home and read books. You know, it really wasn't something you had in those days, but, but he liked to be a homebody. And you read this from the Scriptures, Genesis 27, I believe is where I found this, is uh, Isaac, is what it says. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. Sounds good so far, right? The next part's the killer. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Let me read it again. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. There is a world of hurt, dysfunction, pain, and distress all balled up in that one sentence. And Jacob and Esau, their lives become a fight for the blessing of their home. 
a blessing that they could not get because why? Because Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So how do you think Esau and Jacob got along with one another? Not so well. So one day, after he's been out hunting for that wild game that his daddy loved so much, didn't have any success, Esau comes back home, and man, he is starving. And in the meantime, homeboy Jacob has looked around to see what's got hanging around the kitchen, and he's been brewing up some wonderful, delicious stew. And, he, and so Esau says to Jacob, yo, man, I would like to have some of that red stew you got cooking over there. I am famished. I'm starving to death. And Jacob, being the loving brother that he is, he said, sure, just as soon as you give me your birthright. Now, what is that? The inheritance of the firstborn. Oh, yeah, they were twins, uh, but Esau came out first. He is the eldest. He's the firstborn. He's the one who's going to get to inherit. And Esau says, hey, what good is an inheritance to me? I'm about to starve to death. So he makes the deal, and he sells his birthright to his brother. And this sets in motion a desperate battle between two boys, one of the great family dysfunctions of all times. I thought about doing the GOAT series with that one, the, the, the greatest of all time, the greatest dysfunction, because this is one of the most dysfunctional families you will ever see at this particular point in time. Who's going to get the blessing? And if you know the story, Jacob goes on because even with the deal, Isaac would have blessed Esau, but, but uh, Jacob deceives his father at the time of the blessing. And let's just point out, I'm sorry, who helped him again? My loving wife, Rebecca, I believe was the correct answer. And so his, his loving wife helps his son whom he loves, but he was not going to give the blessing to. I guess daddy was going to ignore this deal, or maybe he wasn't aware of the original deal, didn't care. He knew he passed it to the firstborn son. So Jacob deceives his own father. Jacob receives the blessing that had been intended for Esau. And Esau comes along and it says from the Scriptures, when Esau heard his father's words that the blessing had gone to Jacob, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, bless me too, my father. Do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me too. And then Esau, the big, strong, man's man, outdoorsman, breaks down and weeps for the lack of a blessing. And the devastation is catastrophic. I mean, it just, it, and what I mean by that, it just begins, right? It just gets worse. Don't think this is the bottom. It gets worse from here. Esau learns he did not hear the whole blessing, so he discovers later that when Isaac blessed Jacob, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Now, Esau's thinking, oh, okay, so that I should make sure that I do this. There's just a problem. He's already married. No, not a Canaanite woman. Two Canaanite women. <laughs> and he realizes that this is displeasing to his father. And, and what does he want? He wants a blessing. He wants to please his father. 
So he goes to Ishmael and he marries Mahalath in addition to the wives he already had. So I want you to think about this for a minute. So here's what Esau's thinking. He's saying, if, if that's what it takes to marry a non-Canaanite woman, if that's what it takes to get a blessing from my father, then I'll marry some woman that he approves of. Man, everybody that's married or ever been married, how does that sound like a way to begin a relationship? And do you think that that was the last time some human being made a messed up choice on the basis of their messed up relationship to their parents and led them into a bad marital decision. Think that ever happened again after this? Over and over and over and over again. Just a word to the wise parents. Love your children. Love them well. Beware about creating this type of dynamic where This dysfunction leads them to make bad choices, especially about such critical decisions. Then it goes on. It says this. Man, it just gets worse. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him, and he said to himself, this makes your parents so proud, I will kill my brother Jacob. Now, this is not while they're playing hoops and the guy, you know, takes an elbow and says, I'm going to kill you. No, 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 no. This is the big, strong guy who has had it up to here with the little guy, and he says, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob, and he means business. And Jacob does the smart thing. He runs. I mean, he does not walk. He runs away. Not for a day. Doesn't come home in the afternoon like a little boy with a little hobo stick and a sack of candy bar. That's no. He runs away for years. All the pain, all the dysfunction. This family is devastated by the mishandling of the blessing. Now look, Jacob becomes wealthy. He gets power. Esau's doing good too. And guess what? There is no peace. There is Pain, pain, pain. They cannot get what they really want, which is the blessing. A blessing of a loving family together. He cannot get the blessing of his father's love and approval. There's just too much dysfunction. So Jacob is living with the blessing that he coerced from his father, but his father doesn't love him and bless him for it. Esau is loved by his father, but did not receive the blessing of the firstborn that he was, just everything, everything, everything is messed up. Man, that's just kind of bummer, isn't it? I mean, there's nothing, no happy family, nothing. So what does it take now? It takes God. It takes grace. And here's what happens. The blessing comes when Jacob least expects it. It's years later. He's coming home for a visit. (laughs) He's on his way, and he hears that Esau is on his way to meet him with 400 men. (laughs) 
Now, folks, normally when an army is coming after you, it's not a good sign. Jacob is scared to death. So as they draw closer, I love this, he begins to send presents. (laughs) He begins to send servants out there into the front line. You know, they're all, you travel on ahead of us, you know. You take word to, you do this, you do this. The night before he knows they're finally going to meet, he sends his family. Oh, yeah, what a, what a man, huh? He sends his family on ahead. And Jacob has one of the strangest experiences that we read about, right? He, he has a wrestling match, where I come from, wrestling, but a wrestling match with an angel, the angel of God. If, you've, if you have done any study of this, you know that there's a, a, a lot of talk about this is God himself represented in the form of an angel in some way. It, it, anyway, this is the, the conversation. The Bible simply refers to him as an angel. He's wrestling with this mysterious stranger. And, and as they wrestled all night long, and then the angel says to Jacob, you got to let me go. Now, if you remember, I didn't mention this a while ago. Do you remember the story? I did mention that they were twins, right? And that Esau came out first. You remember what, how he came out? There was a hand holding on to his heel. Jacob had latched on in the womb, and even though Esau came out first, there's Jacob hanging on for all he's worth. Well, lo and behold, here we are all these years later. He wrestles all night with an angel, and guess what happens in the morning? Jacob has not won this thing, but baby, he is holding on for dear life. He is hanging on. And the angel says, let me go. And he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. (laughs) Bless me. And so the angel gives the blessing of God and then gives him another strange gift. The Bible says that the angel touches the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip is wrenched, dislocated, sprained. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Uh, Not that kind anyway. But what it says is we're told that the next morning the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. So Jacob has received the blessing from God, but now he's limping. He's damaged goods. He's a wounded guy. And Jacob is journeying. Esau is coming. And now we have a problem <laughs> because now Jacob can't run away. He's got a bad hip. There's no running. The one doing the running is Esau. And the text says Esau ran to meet Jacob. And Jacob does not run to meet Esau. His running days are over. The rest of his life, Jacob is going to walk with a limp. But Esau somehow sees this, perceives this, the wounded brother, and God, by his grace, gives another blessing, and Esau's heart melts, loves his brother, you got to remember, the last time he laid eyes on him, what did he say? I'm going to kill Jacob. That was it. But now he sees him. The Bible says he ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. 
And this wasn't the whole story, I don't think, but I think that there was something about Jacob's brokenness that touched Esau's heart in a way that Jacob's cleverness when he made the deal with Esau, Jacob's cleverness when he tricked his dad, Jacob's wit when he got the heck out of Dodge before Esau could get his hands on him. Esau didn't care about that, but he sees the limp, the brokenness. And he admires that far more than the cleverness or the strength. It's interesting. Jacob is given a blessing by the angel, but he's also given a wound. And then here comes the question, right? Maybe sometimes. I hate to tell you this. I wish it were not so. But sometimes the wound is the blessing. It doesn't make it hurt any less. He still limped. And can I just say this to you? Maybe you've been Jacob most of your life. You're really clever. You've done well. But I think it's possible you might just bless more people with your limp than with your cleverness and strength. Maybe one of Jesus' sayings should have been more directly, blessed are those who limp, for they will walk with God. Jacob gets this blessing from God. He gets this limp. He gets this wound. And he becomes, humanly speaking, the greatest blessor in the Bible other than God, right? Humanly speaking, I said. If you go to the next to the last, you go to chapter 49 of Genesis, and you get all this detail. You might look and say, oh my goodness, why would he want me to read all of that? It's all this story where he's laying out in Genesis all the blessings that Jacob gives to his sons, plural, all of them. Oh, and he had a passel of them, right? You remember, right? It was Jacob who had how many? Twelve. <laughs> yeah, he had a whole bunch of them. And if he'd have followed the regular rules of the game, he'd have just blessed the oldest one. That's what Isaac did, right? He wanted to just bless uh, Esau. He ends up blessing Jacob. But Jacob, he's learned the lesson of living without the blessing. He's learned what that does to people, and he calls all 12 of them together. And you'll remember, this is how we get the 12 tribes of Israel, folks, because they were all blessed. And this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving each the blessing that was appropriate, that means fitting, the blessing that was just right to each of them. Jacob, the, the, the stealer of the blessing, becomes the blessor. And in this we see a major truth, and here it is. God, God does not wait until somebody deserves it to give a blessing. As I've said several times now, in the ancient world, inheritance, the blessing always went to the firstborn. God comes to Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless you and you alone. No. He says, I'm going to bless you and what? All the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And Abraham has a first son, Ishmael. 
And God does not work through. The blessing does not flow through Ishmael. In the ancient world, that's the way it would have been, but it goes through Isaac. Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob, twins. Esau is born first. According to the ancient world, the line of Israel should pass through Esau, but it doesn't. It flows through the 12 sons, the 12 descendants of Jacob. You see, something odd is taking place here. Jacob has these sons, and you remember they fight a lot, right? You remember that story, right? You, you remember that Joseph was one of the sons. The whole thing about how they sold him into slavery, dysfunctional family, all over again, craziness going on. The oldest of Jacob's son is Reuben. But Israel does not descend through Reuben. Israel does not descend through Joseph even though Joseph is the famous one, right? We all know the story of Joseph and the coat of many colors. But the blessing actually ends up flowing to all the world through Judah. And in Genesis 49, Jacob gives these blessings. He comes to Judah, and this is what he says. You are a lion's cub, Judah. Now, if Judah is a lion's club, what kind of descendants are they going to have? Lions. You, You ever heard of the lion of Judah? Jesus comes through the line of Judah. Reuben was blessed. All the sons were blessed. But this is the language used to describe the coming Messiah. So blessing is going to come through Jesus. Listen to to me, brothers and sisters. Blessing is coming through Jesus to people who are not the firstborn. Blessing is coming through Jesus to people who are not the firstborn son. (laughs) Jesus does not respect gender in his blessing. Jesus does not give his blessing according to status. It is not because of what has been done in the world's eyes to deserve it, but grace is coming into the world. And the kingdom of God turns everything upside down. Let me say it again. The kingdom of God, by grace, turns everything everything upside down. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's us. That means the blessing is for you. You see, these 12 tribes were blessed. All these names of Jacob's sons and then the two sons of Joseph. Joseph himself, there was not a tribe named after him. It was grace is all over the place. Strange things are going on. You've got the sons of Jacob plus the two sons of Joseph with tribes, half-tribes. Who ever heard of a half-tribe? Well, evidently God did when he worked out the blessing to make sure they were. So I'm going to close real quick. I know our time is up. Two quick blessings I want you to take away. Two, two, two big takeaways when we talk about blessing. The first is this. I encourage you to joyfully receive all the blessings God has for you. Brothers and sisters, God has so much for you, but you have to be willing to receive it. You would think that would be an easy sell, but it's not. We have to learn to look for and acknowledge and to embrace and to celebrate God's blessings in our lives. You know why? Because we cannot give away that which we do not have. We have to come to see ourselves as being richly blessed by God. When the greatest teacher who ever lived 
preached the greatest sermon that was ever preached. Here was his operative word, blessed. Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount over and over again, blessed is the one who, blessed is the one who. It's about the blessing, not to be hoarded, but to be shared. He says, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are poor, not because it's great to mourn, not because it feels good to be poor, but because life in the kingdom of God with God's love and God's favor and God's presence is available even if you're poor, even if you're mourning, especially when you're mourning and especially when you're poor. You're blessed. Do you understand? Do you go through life thinking about how blessed you are? Makes me always think of that old hymn I used to sing when I was a kid. Many of you did, right? Count your blessings, name them one by one. See what God has done. Wow, that's what we need to do. Which brings us to the second thing. Then joyfully give all the blessings you can give. You receive as many as you can, and you just keep giving it right back away. Because our master is Jesus, the master blesser. Remember how people brought their children to Jesus, and he would take them in his arms. He would put his hand on them. He would bless them. Physical touch, just a, an important way. The UCLA did a study recently. said that people who experience meaningful touch 10 times a day live longer than those who do not. So you want to know sometimes while we get up and hug people at the greeting time, it's because we're trying to be good doctors. Doctors of the soul, doctors of blessing. Now, let me just ask you to think about this. How do you bless the people that you live with? Would your spouse, would your children, would your roommate, your friends, would they say that you are a blessing to be around? Have you drifted into being a cranky, irritable person? Listen, if you want to be a person through whom God's blessings flow, then receive the blessings and let them flow. But you got to be aware how blessed you are to let this all work together. And if, if some of you are feeling, oh, yeah, I do all that, let me just throw one out for you then. This is the graduate school level. Remember what Jesus said? Bless those who curse you. Oh, man, now that stinks. Why should I have to do that? Because that's graduate level loving. That's what it means. I want to close with a story for you today about being a blessing. This is from a writer named Marianne Bird. Again, Ortberg pointed me to this story. It's, it's amazing. Here's what she wrote. I grew up knowing I was different. I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate. When I started school, my classmates made it clear how I looked to others. A little girl, misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, garbled speech. And when my schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? I'd tell them that I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to just have been born different. I was convinced that nobody outside my family could love me then there was this teacher in the second grade that we all adored, Mrs. Leonard. We had this hearing test that we would do. You might remember this. I actually remember this being done. 
She gave the test to everybody in the class. It came to be my turn. I knew from previous years that we would stand against the door, we would cover an ear, and the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper, and we'd have to repeat what we heard her say, something like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? I waited there for the words. God must have put the words in her mouth. Seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard said in a whisper, I wish you were my little girl. What a blessing. And I want you to know that to people who have been made ugly and twisted and broken and wounded by sin, God says to you and me, I wish you were my little girl. I wish you were my little boy. I have blessings for you. And all of those blessings flow through the cross of Jesus Christ. Blessed, 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 blessed are you. It is the greatest beginning of all time by the grace of God.